So let's open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We thank you for the greatest gift that was ever given, the ultimate Christmas gift that you sent your Son to come to earth, to live a holy, sinless, perfect life, to be a, an example for us to follow, but more importantly, a Savior who would go to the cross of Calvary and suffer and die in our place, that we might have eternal life. We're thankful, Father, that we serve a living, living and risen Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. We thank you, Lord, that we've been forgiven and redeemed, that you've given us the Holy Spirit, that we're born again, that we have the promise of eternal life. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Again, as we look back at that very first Christmas, in Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said, amen. amen. So I've titled the message, what is Christmas really all about? What's it really about? And over the last week or so, I've had a lot of people, many professing Christians saying, are you guys really having church on Christmas? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> because look, I love everything about Christmas. How many guys love Christmas? Okay, I, but I love being with my family. I love giving gifts to the people that I love the most. I love having Christmas dinner. I love Christmas music. I'll tolerate some Christmas uh, movies once in a while for the sake of my wife. <laughs> but that's not what Christmas is about. Those are added blessings, but it's not what Christmas is about. Because Christmas isn't about the gifts we give each other, even though, again, I love to give gifts. Christmas is about the gift that was given to us. And I, right now, I, you know, I'm sure it's always been this way, but maybe I'm more sensitive to it. I've never seen... I've never seen people more distracted about with everything else but what Christmas is really about. I saw this morning somebody posted a thing and, and they were talking about how they got, they got their kids 108 gifts this year and how excited they were that they could give their kids 108 gifts. Um, my family and I, we went up to Moore Park. There's this neighborhood that has hundreds of houses that are all lit up and we walked through the neighborhood and I, you know, the only thing I could notice was I probably saw 100 Santa Clauses, about 75 Rudolphs and, and uh, Frosty the Snowman. They even had Frosty the Snowman playing on a video screen. And I only saw one cross and one nativity scene. Because what has happened is Christmas has become being about everything else but what really matters, and that's Jesus Christ. It's his birthday. And again, we know that's probably not the day, exact day he was born, but it's the day that we set aside to remember the greatest gift ever given, again, the gift of our Savior. So they want to, you want to be distracted. The world wants to distract us about Chris, Christmas. Most uh, and many churches, many Christians have lost sight of what Christmas is really all about. I went to Target to get Christmas cards. And I was giving some gifts to some people, and I wanted a Christian Christmas card. I looked, there's seven or 800 Christmas cards, and I didn't find one that mentioned Jesus, not one. So Jesus is not being mentioned. Jesus isn't being talked about. But here's the reality. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. But we should be surprised when the born-again believers stop talking about Jesus, and our focus is more on presence than his presence. Can I get an amen to that? So it's all about Jesus. He is the reason for the season. We should be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Every song you hear about Jesus at Christmas time, there's 20 about Rudolph and Frosty and Christmas time, right? And again, I'm not saying, I mean, Rudolph's from the devil. Let's just get over it, okay? <laughs> and again, if you get your picture taken with Santa, God bless you, but it is amazing it's the same letters for Satan, I'm just saying, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm kidding. Whatever. Not really, but yeah. Again, it's not about even the Christmas lights, you know, and I love Christmas lights. It's not about, you know, how beautiful our tree and how well, well decorated it is. And again, that's wonderful. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's wonderful to celebrate that way. But can you imagine if somebody had a party for you and they invited 500 people and they all came to that party and they all spent all their time talking to each other and giving gifts to each other and they left you over in the corner and they ignored you the entire time. Guys, it's Jesus' birthday, not ours. It's about Jesus, not us. It's the greatest gift ever. By the way, think about, can you name a gift you were given five years ago that you still even know that you had it? Do you ever watch old Christmas videos and you, you start watching them like, whatever happened to that sweater, right? <laughs> that stuff's all gone. It's all going to burn. It all perishes, right? But the one gift that will outlast this life, the thing that will matter in eternity is not what gift you were given that was under a tree, but the greatest gift that was given to us in the person of Jesus Christ who came and suffered and died that we might have eternal life. Amen? Because see, he's not just a baby in a manger. He's a savior on a cross. You know, we've lost sight of what Christmas is really about, and, and uh, including those that were at the very first Christmas. That's what we're going to look at. See, at the very first Christmas, they're all going to miss Jesus for the most part. They're going to be so busy uh, because of the census. They've all gathered together. They only happen once every 14 years. The city of Bethlehem is going to be filled with people like Super Bowl Sunday, right? I mean, every, every room has been rented out. The place is packed. And they're so busy either making money or reconnecting with family that Jesus is there and they're going to completely miss it. And the same thing that happened in the first Christmas happens at Christmases today, that we get so caught up in, in loving on each other. Nothing wrong with that. But what really matters is what have you done with God's Son? Because when we stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, it won't matter what we got for Christmas this year. It won't matter what gift we gave or, or what songs we sang. What will matter is what have we done with God's Son. Amen? So if you have your outline, grab it. I, I titled the message, What is Christmas really about. Don't miss Christmas and the greatest gift. First, we're going to see the truth about our Savior's birth. It's not a holiday created by man, but a part of God's sovereign plan. And then second, uh, there under point number one, it's not a fable created by man, but it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. I have people say this to me a lot when they find out I'm a pastor. They'll say, you really believe that book? You better believe I believe that book. Because do you know that Jesus is the Word? So when you spend time in the Word, you're spending time with the Word. Amen? And you know what? It's the only book that not only do you read it, but it reads you. And it's the only book ever written where the author loves every reader that ever reads it. That's the Bible. And we need to know the Word of God. Amen? And then second point there, how will you respond to the message of Christmas? Like the innkeepers and travelers, we're going to talk about them. They come from a far distance. They're so excited to see their family. And again, we rejoice. I've got family here from Colorado. I love it. I love when I have family that comes to visit. I love when my house is filled with people that I love. It's amazing. But again, 
May we not get distracted and be so busy that we miss Jesus. Or like the angels who boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus' birth. You know, I'm tired of hearing happy holidays. I just correct people every time I hear it. It's, well, happy holy days works for me. Can I get an amen to that? But I just tell them that, look, Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? And it's not Merry Xmas. Don't take Christ out of Christmas. Can I get an amen to that? We want to be rejoicing in the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth. People said, I had someone say to me recently, well, I don't think Jesus ever lived. I said, what, what date did you write on your, uh, what, what's the date today? What's the date today? Well, it's December 22nd. What year? 2020, 2022 years since who? Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Amen? The, our whole calendar is based on Jesus. There's no calendars based on Buddha. There's no calendars based on Muhammad. Can I get an amen to that? There's no calendars based on L. Ron Hubbard from Scientology or Joseph Smith of the Mormon Church or the Pope or anybody else. It's all about Jesus, and he is the reason for this season. We must never lose sight of he's what it's all about. Amen? And we must not be ashamed of him. We must shout it from the mountaintops. Or like the humble shepherds who had the worst job but were the most blessed. See, these humble shepherds are going to be out on, the, out on the hillside, and when they're on the hillside, everything's happening in Bethlehem. I've been there, and I've seen that where they believe the hillside is, and you can see Bethlehem. They didn't have lights back then, but they had candles, and, and, and you know the city was lit up. It was filled with people, and they're out watching a bunch of dumb sheep, and sheep really are dumb, and the Bible calls us sheep, and it's pretty accurate. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> But we're going to see them have a divine appointment with Almighty God. And my prayer for everyone before you leave here this morning is that you have a divine appointment with Almighty God. Amen? So let's begin there looking at what is, the, what is Christmas really about? The truth about our Savior's birth. Now this text we're going to read every year, and last year I did Matthew, uh, but Luke is the one that is read the most often on Christmas because it has the most detail and every year I try to use a different passage, but this is just the best one for Christmas. So we tend to look at this virtually every year. And what I want you to know, this is not an Aesop's fable. This is not a claymation you know, thing of Snow White or Rudolph or one of those things that we see on Christmas, right? This is history. This is exactly what happened, again, 2000, some 2,000 years ago. And you know what? I want you to know this about our Savior. He's not just a baby in a manger, but he's our Lord, our Savior, our God, and our King. He's the one we've denied, and the world has denied and chosen to reject. See, either you're born again and you're a new creation in Christ, or you're lost and you're dead in your trespasses and sins. I just came here for Christmas before brunch. I didn't know I was going to get beat up. Here's the reality. Either you know the Lord or you don't. Either you're a saint or an ain't. Either born again or you're spiritually dead. Amen. And so we have to choose today where we are with Jesus. What have you done with God's Son? The events that we're about to see are fulfillment of over 200 Old Testament prophecies, all fulfilled by Jesus Christ. I'm going to mention six of them this morning. And you know what? To fulfill just six of them is one in 72 million. And to fulfill them all, there's no number that can equate to it. And Jesus fulfills them all. See, guys, as Christians, we don't check our brains at the door and believe in spite of the evidence. That would be superstition. The word of God is true. And there's nothing more provable that's ever existed on this planet than the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Amen? And so let's begin there looking at 
our Savior's birth, both in its historical context, but also in its spiritual application for every single person that is in this room this morning. This may have happened 2,000 years ago, but applies to our lives today. Let's begin there in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. And it says there, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, Caesar Augustus was the grandnephew and adopted son of, uh, of Julius Caesar. We've all heard of him, an historical figure. He was a Roman, the Roman government was constantly torn by power struggles, and this man had ascended into power at around 31 BC by defeating his greatest rival, and he gave himself the title of Augustus, which means exalted one. Little full of yourself. Can I get an amen to that? I am Caesar the exalted one. So he exalts himself. What's amazing is God's going to use a man who exalts himself to bring about his perfect will. Here's the good news for us. No matter who's in the White House, God's still in control. No matter what's going on in the world around us, God is faithful, God knows what he's doing, and God is sovereign, and it should bring peace to every circumstance in our life. Now, that all the world should be registered. Here's what's happening. About once every 14 years, you would have to go back to the place of your family's origin, and there you would be counted and taxed. So this was like their census. Now, the fact that it happened on this very time was a divine appointment that God foreordained before the foundation of the world that this would be bringing uh, Joseph and Mary back to their place of both of their heritages. They're both out of the tribe of Judah, and they're both, again, from the line of David. And so they were going back to the city of David, Bethlehem. Now, what we need to know about this is that Mary is nine months pregnant, and uh, I have, you know, four children, and, and uh, I remember all four of the pregnancies, and we got some pregnant ladies here, and, and I know you try not to, I mean, I'm thinking a, a, a five-hour car ride is tough. How would you like to have about a 70-mile trek on the back of a donkey when you're nine months pregnant? And that's exactly what happened with Mary. So they're getting on the back of a donkey, and they're going back to this place. And you know what? It's a divine appointment awaiting for them. It was a great trial, no doubt, for Mary and Joseph to have to make this great dis travel this great distance, again, while she's nine months pregnant. But what I have found to be true in Scripture is that the greatest trials often result in the greatest blessings. Amen? Because this is going to be an incredible trial, but it's also going to be an incredible blessing. It was all part of God's sovereign plan. And again, Mary and Joseph, as we know, we know that, uh, again, born of a virgin, uh, that eliminates, and we know in scripture, it talks about the fact that Messiah will be born of a virgin. That eliminates everybody in this room. Amen. Either your mom's lying or something, or she needs some mental help if she told you anything different, right? But they numbered each nation. And so it says it there in verse two, and it took place uh, while Quirinius was governing Syria. So this puts the time right around 
again between 4 BC and, and, and right around that time to AD. So again, this is the time that we're going to de- decide how the world uh, judges time. It's all either before Christ or in the year of our Lord. And again, Augustus Caesar thought he was just going to bring the people together and tax them the way that he wanted. And what he was really doing was God was using even this ungodly man to bring about God's perfect plan. Verse 3, so they all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Again, so the place of tribal origin, and again, for he used Caesar's edict to move them. And again, in order to fulfill his word, sometimes we don't understand what we're going through, but it's all part of God's perfect plan. How many of you in this room, your life has gone exactly the way you expected it? That would be nobody, amen? Our life is not the the thing that we wrote down in our journal when we were young. It didn't go exactly the way that we had planned, but here's the good news. God knows what he's doing. He knows what's best for us. He knows you best. He loves you most. He's a faithful God, and we can trust him, amen? The sovereignty of God brings peace to every circumstance, and certainly they're going to need that in Mary and Joseph. So point number one there, it's not a holiday created, a holiday created by man, but it's a part of God's sovereign plan. And again, it's not about the gifts under the tree, but the gift from heaven. Now, one of the things we're going to note here is that it says there in verse 4, Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house of the lineage of David. Now, I'm going to give you six quick Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah that were all fulfilled by Jesus. There's over 200, but let me just give you six. First of all, it says in Genesis, he would be a human and not an angel. It says in Genesis 12, he'd be a Jew and not a Gentile. It says in Genesis 49, he'd be from the tribe of Judah. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he'd be of the family of David. In Isaiah 7:14, it says he would be born of a virgin. And in Micah 5:2, it says he would be born in Bethlehem in the city of David. Now, just for those seven to all be fulfilled, seven random facts about some, how many guys decided where you were going to be born and who your parents were going to be? Nobody, right? But again, Almighty God can do that. And that's exactly what is taking place here. It happens exactly as the scriptures have said. Again, people will say to me all the time, you know, a guy told me, I don't believe in the Bible. I'm not 10. I'm not 10 years old. I don't believe in the Bible. I said, well, the Bible has a verse about you that says, proclaiming to be wise, they become as fools. He didn't like that very much. The Bible says a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Amen. And you know, there's an arrogance when we reject it. And here's the thing. Whenever I meet someone like that, I love to ask them, tell me your favorite Bible verse. Tell me the, part, tell me the main theme of the Bible. You don't know it because you haven't read it, but you're an authority on something you haven't read. Does that sound very intelligent? Amen? And the reality is that, guys, if we take any time to open up the Bible and read it, we'll find out that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And that the word of God is true and that all the prophecies have pointed to our Savior. He's the one we've been looking for. Both Mary and Joseph were descendants of David, just as it said back in Micah chapter chapter 2. So they go through this 70 to 80 mile difficult trek through this mountainous terrain, a particularly uh, grueling journey for Mary on verge of giving birth. So it wasn't easy for them. And life's greatest blessings, as I said, often come 
through our most difficult trials. So the place of birth is Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem means house of bread. And Jesus is the bread of life. But what's interesting is there was a woman by the name of Rachel. You guys remember Rachel? Okay, when Rachel was giving birth to her last child, she was the wife of Jacob. When she was giving birth to her last child, if you'll remember that she gave birth outside of the city, uh, right outside the city. It was called Epaphra but then, but it's Bethlehem. And when she gave birth to her son, she died in childbirth, and she wanted to name his name, Son of My Sorrows, Ben-Oni. And her husband said, I'm not going to name him Son of My Sorrows. I'm going to name him Benjamin, Ben-Hamin. Benjamin means Son of My Right Hand. Now, isn't it interesting that in the outskirts of, of the city of Bethlehem, this uh, ancestor of, of the line that Jesus would come through, Ben-Oni means, again, son of my sorrow. And the Bible says that Jesus was acquainted with our sorrows and our grief. And then the Bible says, Ben-Hamin means son of my right hand. The Bible tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That happened over a thousand years before Jesus was born in that very city. Guys, the Bible rocks. Can I get an amen? And see, the word of God is true, and we can trust what it says. Then it says in verse 5 there, it says, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, we don't have time to go into as much detail as I would like, but betrothal, back in those days, they were betrothed. And when they were betrothed, they would spend a year together getting to know each other. There was no physical contact, and they were never really alone. So there was always a chaperone, and, and they were not to be physically intimate until their wedding. So they were betrothed, but even in the betrothal, they could not just uh, remove that relationship without a divorce. So they're betrothed, and, and she turns up pregnant. Now, in those days, if that happened, then the penalty for her being pregnant during betrothal period is death. She could have been stoned to death. Now, we talk a lot about Mary, but think about Joseph. You're, you're engaged to Mary. She's this godly virgin woman that your parents have arranged this marriage, and you're so excited about spending the rest of your life with her, and then she shows up and tells you that she's pregnant, but an angel told her that uh, it was God's child. Now, if you're Joseph, how's that sounding so far? Okay, babe, I'm, I hear what you're saying, but kind of having a problem with that. Now, the good news is God sent an angel to Joseph. And Joseph could have put her out. Joseph could have had her stoned to death. So we praise God for it. Now look, Mary was blessed among women and praise God for Mary. Can I say amen to that? But we don't worship Mary. And Mary was a sinner in need of a savior just like the rest of us. And you know, the Catholic church will teach that, and some Catholic church will teach that she's co-redeemer with Christ. No, she's not. Amen? We also know from scripture that he, she had other children. So she's not a perpetual virgin either. That's also a lie. Guys, we don't listen to what tradition says. We read what the Bible says. Because traditions will lie to us all day long. Amen? So be careful with traditions. And so he's bringing his betrothed wife, and God bless him. He's going to stand with her. And he doesn't have her put out, and he listens to what the word says. And now they're traveling this great distance. And then it says there in verse 6, so it was while they were there, their days were completed for her to be delivered. So she goes into labor. And we know from the rest of scripture 
that they are coming at a time when the city's population may be 10 or 12 times what it is normally. And in those days, they didn't have what we would consider, they didn't have Motel 6, okay? But what would happen is there were people that maybe had a restaurant or place, and they would rent out rooms. And so an inn would be somebody that had a couple rooms in their house. And so as they're coming, imagine you're about to deliver a baby, and the last thing you want to do is deliver it on the back of a donkey out on a road somewhere. And so as they come into Bethlehem, they're going door to door, trying to find some place where they will be welcomed, and nobody has room for Mary, Joseph, and the Savior of the world. Now, they couldn't have known that he was the Savior of the world, but here's the sad part. There are people today that know, that know the claim that he is the Savior of the world, and they still have no room for Jesus. See, the innkeepers were all about making as much money as possible. This was a, a boondoggle for them. This was the time when, you know, this like Christmas at the mall. You know, there's shops in the mall that make more money in two weeks before Christmas than they do the rest of the year combined. And so this was that time for them. And so the innkeepers were so caught up in making as much money as possible that they missed the Savior. And we can get so caught up in chasing after the things of this world that we miss the Savior. We get so caught up in chasing other things about Christmas. Again, giving gifts, wonderful. Celebrating as a family, fantastic. But my prayer would be we'd be, as, we'd be more focused on giving the perfect gift to the person we love. We'd be more focused on the gift that's been given to us, Jesus Christ. Amen? So it's not a fable created by men, uh, but it's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy as we have seen and now she's, it's time for her to give birth. Then it says in verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Notice that it's firstborn son. You don't have to say that if you only have one son. Amen? That means there's more kids coming, more proof that Mary was not a perpetual virgin. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now, one of the things I do love is... Uh, you know, swaddling clothes. You know, it's interesting. That's come back, right? When my, when my kids, my, my kids start having kids, swaddles became the thing again. So when, when you put the baby in, you, you know, like when I would hold the, you know, my daughter would give me my grandson and she'd wrap them up and they're in their little swaddle and they love it for whatever reason. They love it. It's like they're just being hugged perpetually, right? And so they get swaddled up and they wrap them tight and they lay him in bed, and they just feel like they're maybe back in their mother's womb or something. They're just being swaddled. And so they take this cloth, and they wrap Jesus tightly, right? And they lay him in a manger. Now, I don't mean to blow your gig here and your vision of what the manger looked like, but more than likely, this was not a wooden manger. More than likely, it was a stone manger. And more than likely, it was a... Because where they would feed most of the animals were not in wooden mangers, typically. A lot of times, it was in caves, and so they would have a stone manger inside of a cave. So more than likely, that's exactly where Jesus was born. But that makes perfect sense in Scripture, because when you think about Jesus being wrapped in cloth and laid into a stone cave, what does that make you think about? The tomb. See, Jesus came to earth to die. And from the moment he was born, it was a picture of where his life would end up, and the fact that he would triumph over sin and death in the, and the grave. Amen? So he's laid in a manger. It's a feeding trough for animals. And again, ancient tradition, again, holds that he was born, again, probably not in a 
something, a shelter for animals, but in a cave. And again, it points to why he came. From the moment of his birth, he was headed to the cross. You know, Jesus left, and again, he is a baby in a manger, but ultimately, he's a savior on the cross. And that was always the plan before the foundation of the world. The Bible tells us he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God created everything knowing that we would fall. And yet, he created it anyway. And he knew that his, he would have to send his son, and his son would have to suffer and die that we can be restored to holy God. But it was always God's plan. There was no room for him in the end. What a tragic statement. Again, Bethlehem was so packed that they missed out on the ultimate. I mean, how tragic would it be to be standing before God on judgment day and realize that you pushed out the Savior because you had no room for him? How tragic would that be? You know what's just as tragic? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and you're pushing him away today, amen? Do you have room for Jesus in your life? You know, Jesus should rule and reign. We all have a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. Money won't do it. Fame won't do it. Power won't do it. Followers on TikTok won't do it, amen? There's nothing that will satisfy the flesh. The only thing that will satisfy is being filled with the Spirit of the living God, because that's what He created you for, to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Again, I wonder if they, those who turn Him away have passed into eternity, wish they could do it over again. How about you and me? Are we busy pursuing worldly riches, pleasures, and comforts that we've missed the Son of God as He knocks on the doors of our hearts? Have you answered the door to God's calling on your life? Have you invited Him in to rule and reign? When you've when the time has come and passed, only what you've done for Christ will last. And while the busy and prosperous innkeepers and weary travelers miss the Messiah, we will see a completely different reaction from the hosts of heaven and the humble shepherd. See, Jesus comes and not everybody misses him, but some people do. And I want you to notice, beginning of their verse 7, how do they respond so like the innkeepers and the travelers, did you, have you missed Jesus by pursuing money and comfort and pleasure and you know, celebrating the holiday? Again, it's Jesus' birthday. That's what it's really all about. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and it's his birthday that we remember. But notice, watch the difference, how the angels respond. Now, what's amazing is the angels have a different perspective on this, don't they? Because they knew Jesus in heaven. He created them. They had been around the throne, worshiping the Father. They knew the Son. They knew the Holy Spirit. They were no doubt in awe when Jesus left heaven and took on humanity and was born. And they were all there when they saw that he came to earth and they knew why he came and they were blown away by his love for us. And they're going to have a different, totally different response to Jesus' birth. Look what it says in verse 8. It says, now there were in this, uh, verse 8, it says there, now there were in the city in the county, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now, being a shepherd was a lowly job, but you had to be brave to do it. It was not a job that people, you know, aspired to. They didn't have schools for shepherds, right? What do you want to do? I want to grow up and be a shepherd. I want to, I want to sit out and watch dumb sheep all day and lay down my lives when lions come around. Nobody wanted that job. But these guys who, had to do, who did it would have to be somewhat fearless. So the fact that these men, first of all, uh, usually it was a low job, and the worst was the guys working graveyard. 
You know, if you're working graveyard, that's a shift nobody wants, especially graveyard during census time when the whole city is filled and everybody's rejoicing and celebrating and all the families come together and you're up on a hill with a couple of your buddies watching a bunch of dumb sheep at night and you can't sleep. And you're looking down the hill, and we're missing, all, we're missing all the fun. How do we get this shift, right? So this is these shepherds. And as they're up on that hill, and they're sitting there, all of a sudden, an angel shows up. And when the angel shows up, notice they were greatly afraid. That's saying something, because these men tended not to be afraid. The work was remedial in the world's eyes, and it made them ceremonially unclean. So... Then the angel shows up, and what do they say to them? No, notice, the angel didn't show up to a bunch of priests. The angel didn't show up to a bunch of scribes who could write it all down. Didn't show up to Caesar or a great military people. Showed up to lowly shepherds. Because again, what a picture of our Savior, because he is the good shepherd. Amen? He does not call the rich and mighty. He calls the humble and lowly. In the Song of Mary, back in Luke chapter 1, it says, He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. See, Jesus came both to be the good shepherd and the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, they were watching over lambs that no doubt were going to be sacrificed, and they were shepherds, and the angels come to shepherds watching over lambs, and Jesus is the good shepherd, and he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Bible rocks. Can I get an amen? amen. It all points to Jesus. See, they came, they could have been caring for the flocks that would provide the sacrifice in the temple, and it was only fitting that they were the ones who would get the good news. How have you approached God's son? In prideful arrogance, with questions and demands, too busy to take note of him, or in humility and awe and wonder and brokenness like these humble shepherds? They were greatly afraid. And again, every time you see angels in the Bible, every time, every time when they show up, every time, the people are afraid. Because one angel, we see in the Bible one angel like whipping up on hundreds of thousands of people. So it's good to know that if God is for us, who can be against us? Can I get an amen to that? Didn't you know we fight a spiritual battle, but the angels are on our side, amen? And so praise God for that. And so the angels show up and these guys are petrified. Then notice what happens. It says in verse 10, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. You only have to tell people not to be afraid when they're afraid. Amen? Do not be afraid. Same words spoken to both Zacharias when he was told that they were going to have a baby and John the Baptist, and to Mary when she learned that she was going to have Jesus. Fear is a natural response when confronted by the divine visitation or a mighty work of God. And then he says to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is to be, which will be to what? What does it say? All people. Does it say some people? The elect people. The best people. All people. Here's the good news. The gospel is for everyone. Amen? He desires that none should perish, no, not one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Good tidings of great joy. Words mean to preach good news. 
So who was the good news for? It's for everyone. The good news is for everybody, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, not just the rich, not just the poor, not just the, 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 the mighty or just the meek. It's for everyone. So that means all, everyone in this room, you're part of all, which means this good news is for you. This good news is for me. And that word is gospel, the gospel. It says in verse 11, here's the good news. What is it? For unto you, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Buddha. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> who is Muhammad? Who is good works? Who is doing the best you can? No, it's not any of that. Who is Christ the Lord? Amen? Christ, the Messiah, savior of the world. The Lord, the one who's, who we submit to. He's not just our savior, he's the Lord of our lives. And again, Best news ever, not that God had sent a soldier, a judge, or a reformer, but he sent a savior. Because guys, you know what? We can have a great warrior that could come and win an initial battle, but that would not take care of our sin problem. We'd all spend eternity in hell. He could spend, send a great economist, and we might turn things around economically, but in the end, we would still stand before Almighty God wanting, and our sin would not be paid for. See, God sent a Savior. Almighty God the Father sent His Son to save us because we all need to be saved. Amen? How many sinners we got in the room? Hands not up, you're prideful, lying sinner right now. Can I get amen? So we're all sinners. Sin is an archery term. It's a distance between perfection and where the arrow lands. We've all fallen short because we don't compare ourselves to other people. God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross. And when we're compared to Jesus Christ, we've all fallen short. So we, God can't have one sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. So we've got a problem because we've all admitted we're sinners. There can be no sin in heaven. So what in the world can we do? Well, here's the good news. We don't do anything. We let him do it for us. And he did it on the cross of Calvary. He came to save us from our sins, that we can be forgiven. The good news is, again, he didn't send a soldier, a judge, or a reformer. He sent a savior because that's what we need. Your greatest need, my greatest need, is to be forgiven. Here's the good news. You can be forgiven. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. There's no amount of sin that keeps you beyond his forgiveness. See, it was a message of peace. Peace is not the absence of war, but the right standing before Almighty God. See, Jesus is more than a baby in a manger, but he's the savior of the world. See, a Christian can have more peace in the midst of a battlefield than an unbeliever can laying around in a palace. So how can you know this peace? So it says there through Christ the Lord. The word Christ there in Greek is anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the only way. People say Christianity's narrow. Yes, it is, and I am so glad. How about you? Amen? I'm so glad there aren't 550 potential paths and 30 of them are good. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He's the only truth, the only way, the only answer, the only path to heaven. Amen? And so guess what? The good news is the gospel is simple. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We are separated from God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we will believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if we will turn from our sin and surrender our lives to him, we will be saved. We'll be born again. We'll be adopted into his family. Our name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We have the promise of heaven. When we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory. And guys, guess what? Heaven is better. Amen? And that's the promise that we have. That's the good news. 
That's the greatest news, amen? We need some good news. I'm tired of watching the bad news. That's all that's on TV. The bad news. There's some more bad news. We've got to see how much bad news we can give you. Let's give people some good news, amen? Each and every one of us, again, has a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. Your life will remain empty until it's filled with him. I don't care what else you try, it's never going fi- to fix it. No matter how many things you do, no matter how many you know, positive speakers speak into your life, or how many you know, goals you try to achieve, if you don't have Jesus, your life is always going to be empty because you were created to have a relationship with him. If you're here today and you're like, something's missing in my life, can I tell you what it is? It's Jesus, amen? He's the answer. Then it says this. So they're telling him, the, the Lord's been born. The Savior's been born. Their, their minds are blown away. First of all, the, the angels are shining brightly. First of all, uh, it's making the candles look like nothing. Remember, Bethlehem was shining in the darkness till the angels showed up. And now there's a bright light, bright heavenly light in their presence. They're in fear. Their faces are to the ground. They're told there is good news. And then they tell him in verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The natural question would be, there's a Savior. How do we find him? Where is he? Down there in the midst of all that hustle and bustle, the city's overflowing with a multitude of people. How are we going to find him? Well, he's a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's in a manger. You know what? The good news is God wasn't hiding from them. The angels told them what to look for. And I have an idea. They went down into the city with a one-track mind. Can I get an amen? They left the sheep alone. They abandoned the sheep. They ran into the city, and they wanted to find the Lamb of God. They wanted to find the good shepherd. They wanted to find the Savior of the world. The angels made it clear that he was there, and they came seeking. And here's the good news. Everybody who seeks to know the Lord will find him every single time. Because he's not hiding. Amen? He said these bumper stickers, I found Jesus. I used to say, I didn't know he was hiding. Amen? Didn't only say he loved you, proved it by dying in your place, and he's there desiring to have intimate fellowship with, he, with, with you. He came from heaven to earth. He lived a sinless, perfect, holy life. And again, he didn't only claim to be God, but he proved it by raising from the dead. What have you done with God's son? Are you too busy for him like the innkeepers? You're unwilling to give up the throne like King Herod in Matthew's account. See, these guys were, it was a situation where that, look, go look, go find him. You know where he is, go find him. And they're going to run down to find him, verse 13. And suddenly there was an angel, there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I haven't heard, I didn't hear that song once when I was walking around looking at Christmas lights. Rudolph the Red Nose, stop! Frosty, the snowman. Stop. Frosty ain't doing me no good. Can I get any men to that? But notice what they were singing. It says in Revelation 5, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Like, we don't know how many angels there are, and we wonder how many angels sang in this choir. I think it was all of them. 
I think all of the heavenly hosts stopped what they were doing and they gathered together and started singing these praise songs. Why? Because Jesus had left heaven and come to earth and this heavenly choir was singing in unison because this was the greatest act of love in all of human history. And it was the only way that sinful men and women could be restored back to holy God. There's nothing more important ever in human history than this day right here. And they were rejoicing and singing at the top of their lungs all the angels together. What amazing picture that is. Wouldn't it be great to be there? Guess what? We're going to be. The Bible says when we get to heaven, we're going to join that heavenly choir. We're going to be around the throne of God, and we're going to be singing his praises forevermore. One day very soon. And they're just praising. Glory to God in the highest Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. See, God's glory is dwelt in the tabernacle and then in the temple, but now it dwells within us. God's glory was returning to earth in the person of his son. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. They beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The lowly manger was now the holy of holies because Jesus was there. See, what made the holy of holies in the temple holy is because God's presence was there. And what made the manger the holy of holies because Jesus was there. And guess what? Now the Holy of Holies dwells inside of us because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, lives here. Amen? Thank you. If somebody clap for that, I'm glad somebody's excited. Peace, goodwill toward men. Not a universal declaration of peace toward all men, but better rendering would be peace toward men of whom God's sovereignty rests. Those who turn to the Lord will now have peace. If your life is without peace, if you're turning to other things to find the answer, your flesh will never be satisfied. The enemy lies to you. If you just go out and sow some wild oats, then you'll be happy. If you just go out and, and you know, get hammered, then you'll, you'll have peace. If you just go out and get that promotion at work, if you get enough money in your bank account, if you buy that big house, if you find the right spouse, all these things that we think will be the thing that will satisfy us when that, that vacuum was created for the Lord and nothing else will satisfy. Amen? Only Him. So finally, we saw how the angels responded. They couldn't help but worship. Guys, when we get to the presence of God, people say this all the time. When I get to heaven, I got questions for God. No, you don't. <laughs> We're in his presence. <laughs> Amen. Just glad I'm here. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Holy, holy, holy. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I just want to be there. Can I be there? If we're there, it's good enough. Let's just praise his name. Well, they're just shouting. They're praising his name. We're going to join that choir. Finally, look at the humble shepherds. How do they respond? We saw the innkeepers too busy. Didn't have room for the Savior. We saw the angels. They just couldn't stop worshiping. When they knew who Jesus was, they were so beside themselves, all they could do was worship. Now look at the humble innkeepers. It says, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which, this Lord, which the Lord has made known to us. No, do any of them doubt that this is the real deal? Why? Because the angels showed up. The presence of God was in front of them. There was no, well, I wonder if that's really true, what they were talking that, that didn't happen. Well, as soon as they heard it, they wanted to go find him. They knew that he was there. 
And they're going to go looking for the Lord, and anybody who comes looking will find him. Verse 16, and they came with haste, the first Christmas rush, amen? They ran down the hill into the city looking for Jesus, and they were one-track mind. Get out of the way. Not gonna, you know, he's in a manger. Okay, well, no, he's not in a, We're going to find him. And they're looking. They're seeking for the Lord. They came with haste. But unlike the materially focused Christmas rushes of today, they're not looking for the right pair of shoes in the right color, right? What they're looking for is Jesus. There should be a sense of urgency and desperation in our pursuit of God. Amen? Well, all you know, I'll, you know, right now I've kind of got my thing going on, and later in life I'll kind of give that Jesus thing a look. I've had people tell me that. You know, well, yeah, of course you love Jesus. You're old, bro, you know. <laughs> what else are you going to do with your life, dude? You're old, man. You, can't. you know, and there's this mentality, right? But the reality is none of us has a promise of tomorrow. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Don't leave here without him, Amen. So notice what it says here. They, they went looking, they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. The word found there is they found by search. The shepherds knew what they were looking for, a newborn baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, every stable, manger, cave, animal with hay in his mouth. Man, where'd you get that hay? Where, where are you from, right? They're looking everywhere, and they find the Lord. They found him. All others turned him away and passed by him. Wonder how many places they had to go to find him, but they clearly were not going to stop looking until they did. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. Now I love this, and I want to exhort all of you. I want to encourage all of you. A lot of times we think sharing your faith is for the pastors or somebody who's been walking with the Lord for a long time, or, or somebody who's outgoing. I'm kind of quiet. I'm kind of a newer Christian. I don't think I can share my faith with anybody. That's the enemy lying to you. Amen? Because these guys heard from the angels, saw Jesus, and then went and told everybody. Amen? As soon as they saw the Lord and they recognized who he was, they couldn't help but tell everybody else that they had found him. Amen? This reminds me of a story. The guy that pastored the church, I used to pastor in Santa Cruz. His name is Matt Valencia. He's a good friend of mine. And he told me the story of when he got saved at a youth retreat. And he was at this youth retreat, and he said, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, but I was always cutting up, and I'd cut out, a I'd cut out of, you know, the, the, the chapels, and we'd go goof off in the mountains and do stuff. And he goes, one morning I went to chapel, and I heard the gospel, and I got saved. And while they were doing the last worship song, I said, I got to go tell my buddy that I brought up here. And he ran back to his bunk, woke his buddy up, shared Jesus with him and led him to the Lord. And he'd only been saved for five minutes. And that what, what I want to tell us is that all of us, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And when the Holy Spirit is inside of you, he will equip you to be able to go out and fulfill the great commission, which is to go to all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Can I get an amen to that? You're the only, when you show up at work on Monday, tomorrow, if you're working tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. When you walk into the mall, the Holy Spirit just showed up. When you're in a conversation, the Holy Spirit is there because he lives inside of you and God wants to use you for his glory and the enemy wants to distract you. He wants you so caught up in all this stuff that's all going to burn and won't matter in eternity that you don't ever tell anybody about Jesus. 
Guys, we have the antidote to the cancer that is killing everyone, and it's called sin, and the antidote is Jesus. We must not keep it to ourselves. Amen? The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the ends of the earth. Peter that denied Jesus before Pentecost after he was given the Holy Spirit witnessed and 3,000 people got saved in a single day. Guys, we all, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And again, the Lord wants to use you. Let's finish up. For all those heard, it marveled at these things what they were told by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things that she pondered in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard, seen, and it was told to them. The shepherds were not permitted to testify in court because they were considered ceremonially unclean because they were near unclean animals. But God used these humble shepherds to be the first human witnesses. And again, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God didn't show up again to great orators. He didn't show up. He showed up to humble shepherds, showing that God can use people like us. You know what you all have? You all have a testimony. Here's who I was, and then I met Jesus, and here's who I am now. And nobody can refute that, amen? I want to encourage all of you, do this. Here's a New Year's resolution, get done before New Year's. Go home, take out a piece of paper, and write down your testimony on one piece of paper Something that you could share with somebody if you were stuck in an elevator with them for two minutes. Can I get an amen to that? Where this is, you know what? Hey, man, I, you know, I know she got a candy cane there. You know what that candy cane's about? And you tell them about Jesus, right? Because you know what the candy cane's about Jesus. We'll talk about it. And they start going, and then you go, by the way, I'm a born-again Christian. Let me tell you how I came to know the Lord. This was my life. This is what happened in my life. Then I met Jesus. I heard his word. I gave my life to him. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to heaven. My life changed. He can do that for you, too. You can do that in two minutes. Can I get an amen to that? I want to encourage you. Write it down. And, and, and look, for, look for somebody that you can tell it to. Amen? God's truth is marvelous. They were marveled by the truth. It blew them away. Shepherds went from men who marveled at the message to messengers who delivered a truth that made others marvel. Amen? They received by faith the message that God had given unto them. Unto them this day is born, in this, in this, it is a, born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then they went down and found him, and then they went and told everybody. So they received the truth. They heard it. Then they responded to it. Then they told everybody else about it. Isn't that what we're called to do? We hear the word, the truth of the gospel. We respond to it, right? And then we tell everybody else about it. And my prayer for you this morning, if you've never responded to it, that today would be the day of salvation. You know, God can open up the heavens and just tell everybody about himself, but he chooses to use us. My prayer is, as we go into a new year here, that we recognize that we have a vapor of time to be about it for the kingdom of God. We're another year closer to heaven, amen? We're another year closer to seeing our Savior face to face, and when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. So in closing, what is Christmas really about? Don't miss Christmas and the greatest gift. Again, the truth about our Savior's birth, it's not a holiday created by man, but it's a part of God's sovereign plan. It's not about gifts under a tree, but the gift who came to hang on a tree that we might have eternal life. It's not a fable created by man, but it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It all proves that Jesus is who he said he is. So how are you going to respond to the Lord, to the birth of our Lord and Savior? Like the innkeepers, are you so busy with life that you don't take time for the Lord? He's not the priority. There's not, you know, when I have time, I'll fit him in. By the way, welcome all you CEO Christians. We're glad you're here. <laughs> A CEO Christian is Christmas and Easter only. Amen? But we're glad you're here. Can I get an amen to that? 
And by, amen? And if that's the only time you come, I'm glad you're here. And we'll see you at Easter. Amen? But, here's, <laughs> but we would let you know we're here every Sunday. Can I get an amen to that? By the way, if every other church in the world shuts down, we'll be having church. I don't care what happens. Amen? I don't care. We're having church. So we're going to be like the innkeepers who miss Jesus, like the angels who boldly proclaim the good news to others, or like the humble shepherds who responded in faithful obedience to the message of our Savior's birth, who received his word, responded to his word, and then reported it to others. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are a great and an awesome God. We thank you for the good news, the greatest news ever, that you sent your Son, that the Almighty God left heaven and came to earth, took on humanity, lived 33 years on this planet, sinless perfection that we could follow, and then went to the cross of Calvary and took all of our sin upon himself. He knows us best and he loves us most. And that through his shed blood on the cross of Calvary, we've been forgiven. Our sins are wiped away. We have the promise of heaven. And he proved himself to be God on the third day when he rose from the dead. He went from a baby in a cave in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes to a, the savior of the world, risen and living, triumphing over sin and death in the tomb. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So your salvation doesn't come from going to church or joining an organization or trying to be the best person you can. It's recognizing you're a sinner and then asking God to forgive you and surrendering your life to him. Again, if you confess me before men, the Bible says, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now just to confess him, to say, look, I'm ready to surrender my life to the Lord. I'm here not by chance, but by divine appointment. If that's your desire, I want you to raise your hand right where you are, and I want to pray with you. And you can know when you leave here today that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. If you truly mean it, if you're sincere in your heart, you'll be born again. You'll know that when you close your eyes on earth, you're going to open them up in glory. You'll have the Lord who will never leave you nor forsake you. If that's your desire, just raise your hand right where you are. Anybody at all. Don't leave here without him. Lord loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. Again, you are the reason for the season. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. is he worthy to be worshiped? Yeah. Let's worship.